Hello, and welcome to the Falls Creek Youth Camp Podcast. This week, we have 4,516 campers and adults from 93 churches. In this service, our camp pastor, Michael Butler, taught on the message to Ephesus from Revelation. And during this message, there were 124 spiritual decisions, including 51 professions of faith. Falls Creek, it's been an amazing week together, and I'm excited for us to finish this week out strong tonight on a good Friday night. And we've had a full week. We've studied the Word together. We've played hard this week. There's been a lot of amazing things that have happened all over this camp this week. It's been hot. It's been sweaty. It's been fun. And it's not over. Because tonight I believe God has a Word that He wants to speak to us. And before we even take our first steps together in studying our passage tonight in Revelation chapter 2. Can I issue you this challenge? That you would dial in. That you would would lean into this moment. That you would not be mentally checked out. That you wouldn't be thinking about what's to come. Listen, in in a matter of of minutes or hours or even uh, perhaps tomorrow, we're all going to head home and we're going to start the journey back to where we came from. But I believe that God wants to send us back different than the way that we came when we entered into this place. God wants to send us out revived, refreshed, restored, on fire, ready to charge out into the world that we're being sent into to love people with the message of Christ. And tonight's message is geared specifically for that. All week we've been talking about influence. That's been a key theme that we would choose to influence, that we would choose to use what God has given us, the, the, the platform that each one of us have, the influence that we have in the lives of others to impact this world for the cause of Christ. And tonight, as we look at this passage in Revelation chapter 2, I hope that you will be challenged to stay on your knees before the Lord, to continually walk with Him, to seek Him day by day that you may may walk this spiritual journey that you're on. You may walk this path that we've been talking about all week. That you may choose to follow this path, being led by the Spirit of God, knowing that He has a plan and a purpose for your life. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. We're looking again at the church in Ephesus. All week long we've been following the story arc of the church of Ephesus. And tonight is kind of a full circle moment. So think about, think about things that come full circle. Even just that idea of something that goes full circle. Is the, it's the idea that something goes all the way around, right? And, and I think of sort of the quintessential full circle moment perhaps is in the, the movie The Lion King, right? And so at the, at the beginning of the movie there's the moment where... where the, the lion cub is lifted up and, you know, it's, it's the, the, the chorus of all the animals sing out and it's that circle of life song. And then at the end of the movie, it's the same basic, it's the picture of the full circle, things that have gone all the way around. This week really has been a full circle moment for me. I shared with you earlier that I've been coming to False Creek for most of my life and for all of my life other than this week, I've been where you are. I've been the one sitting in the seats, listening, taking notes, listening to preaching. And this week, it's been my joy and my privilege to bring the Word of God to you. And and so it's a a full circle moment of sorts. And so I, I suppose I've been thinking about that idea, that concept, because of this text, because of this week and the moment that we're in. This idea of coming 
full circle. Because what we see in the story of the church in Ephesus is they go from not knowing Christ to within a matter of a few years being sold out on fire, a a movement of God in their midst that we saw in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. That within two years' time, all of Asia had heard the word of God through the church in Ephesus because they received the word of God and and they were moved by the word of God and, and they shared that word with others. And we see that the church begins to grow and it makes a major impact in its in its area in its region in the lives of people the church at Ephesus itself we have the Ephesian letter as Paul's writing to the church and he's commending them and he's encouraging them and he's pushing them on that they would walk in faith that they would stand in the armor of God we have what we refer to as the pastoral epistles so these letters written to Timothy as he's pastoring and leading shepherding the church at Ephesus Later in his life and in his ministry, the Apostle John lived in the city of Ephesus. After the city of Jerusalem fell and then after a time of imprisonment and even banishment on the Isle of Patmos, John lived and ministered and most Bible scholars believe that he wrote the letters that we think of as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John from the city of Ephesus in the latter years of his life. But before that, John sees this vision from God, this revelation that God gives him of things that are to come, of the the day of judgment, the the great day that's coming, and, and these things that would happen in the future. And John wrote that revelation down because the Spirit of the Lord told him to, and that's what we have as the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is that vision given to John. And at the opening part of the book of Revelation, we find that Jesus himself speaks a word to seven churches. And these are the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia. And the first of those letters is the letter that we're going to look at tonight. It's a a brief letter, if you will. It's a, a brief word written to this church in Ephesus. And what's interesting is that we see by the time that John is sharing this revelation, approximately 50 years. We don't know for certain. There aren't chronologically it's difficult to date this with absolute certainty but roughly 50 years have gone by from the time that Paul first arrived in Ephesus to the time when John is sharing this revelation and in that period of time we've seen the church at Ephesus grow in its influence but then also begin to see its influence fade and many of us we can relate because you've come to camp before and you've, and you've had that moment where you sensed God moving and you sensed God speaking and, and you left camp and you were fired up for the Lord and you, and you tell yourself, this year's gonna be, this year's gonna be amazing. This year's gonna be great. This year's gonna be different. And over time, slowly, that begins to fade. Can I tell you that I think there's a reason, there's a key reason that that happens is because we come to camp and for a week of our lives, we starve the flesh and we feed the things of the Spirit. But see, then we go home And we begin feeding the things of the flesh and starving the spirit. If you want to go home and you want the fire, the passion, the energy, what you feel this week to remain strong in you, you've got to continue to starve the things of the flesh and feed the things of the spirit you've got to be connected to a church you've got to be connected with other believers you've got to be you've got to be accomplishing God's call and his mission his purpose for you sharing your faith being a witness making a difference in the world 
None of us can live on the mountaintop moment. We, 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 can, we don't live on the mountaintop, so to speak. And I don't mean literally. Of course, if you live in Oklahoma, then I do mean literally because there are no great mountaintops in Oklahoma, right? But none of us live on the mountaintop. But we have those mountaintop moments in life like False Creek. And I pray that for you, False Creek 2022 has been a true mountaintop moment. But I know that there's some valleys coming. I know that there are some hard moments and some difficult days that lie in store for you. Can I share with you an encouragement? The late evangelist Billy Graham said that mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit grows in the valley. And if you want to bear fruit for Jesus, and if you want to see the the passion and the fire that you have this week continue when you get home, then you've you've got to abide in Christ. You've got to continue to bear fruit in the valley. But here's the good news. You're not alone in the valley. Because the same God who has saved you, the same God who is calling you, the same God who is sending you, will be with you every step of the way. And His Holy Spirit inside of you, empowering you. But what we want is we want to see that movement stay fresh and vibrant and real and passionate. And in order to do that, I want us to learn from the church in Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That is to say, Jesus. If you read back in Revelation 1, you pick up some of the context to understand. So this is the words of Jesus. Verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so Jesus himself delivers this word, this message to the church in Ephesus. And tonight I want us to understand that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who gave this vision to John, this is, this is a word for us. Not only was this a word to the Ephesian church, this is, a, this is a word to us. Falls Creek 2022, a room full of future shapers, a room full of influencers, a room full of young women and young men who God is sending out into the world to make an impact for Jesus Christ. So first, let's see his commendation. We see a commendation to receive. A commendation, if you think about what a commendation is, if you commend someone, then you are, you're giving them a compliment of sorts. I suppose that's a way that we can think of that word, right? That you are, you are praising them. That's really what a commendation is. Some kind of laud, some kind of praise. Here's the commendation that Jesus has for the church in Ephesus. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, 
and how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and you've not grown weary. So he commends the church. He begins by offering them praise saying, church, I know you are working hard. I know that you, that you want to do the right things. I know that your desire is for what is good. But desire isn't always enough, is it? It takes discipline. Our desire has to be matched by discipline. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But he's saying as he commends them, I, I know you've done some good things. I look around this room and, and, and I see your faces and, and I know many of your pastors and your youth pastors and your church leaders and, and even those that I may not know personally, I know of many of yours because I've been in Oklahoma Baptist work my whole life and, and, and I've, I've been committed to our Oklahoma Baptist work for many years now in, in vocational ministry and, and I know the church is represented in this room. And I know that there are some churches in this room that God has done some mighty things in. He's done some powerful and some awesome things in the ministries represented in this room. And yet, we're all one generation away from, from, from losing all of that influence if we don't steward it for God's purpose in His kingdom. So you're going to go home from camp and you're going to step back into a real world. And, and church can be messy at times. And all the pastors and all the youth pastors and, and the deacons and the church leaders in the room said amen, right? Church can be messy at times because there are no perfect churches. The church that you came with this week, it may be a great church. I, in fact, I, I imagine it probably is because they loved you enough to bring you and invest in you, but they're not a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. I tell my church family all the time, we are not a perfect church. And people who are looking at my church, I tell them, we're not a, we're not a perfect church. And, and there are no perfect churches. And students, can I just tell you this? That if you ever find a perfect church, you should stay away because you'll mess it up. Right? Because there are no perfect churches because churches are made of imperfect people. And we're all imperfect and fallen. But there are healthy churches. And there are healthy church leaders. And you and I have a part to play in preserving the health, the integrity of our churches, the integrity of our witness, the integrity of the gospel. And we do that by making sure that our walk is right, that we are right before God. And so we ought to heed this commendation that we would walk right before the Lord as the, the Ephesians are being committed for walking rightly before the Lord. But secondly, we see that Jesus has a condemnation that he wants the church to recognize as well. So there's a, a commendation to receive, but then also, strikingly, a condemnation to recognize. In other words, a word of judgment, a word of judgment, a word of rebuke against the church. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Sadly, this is the story of the Ephesian church. It was a church full of people who knew the right things, who, who understood all the right doctrines and all the right theologies, and they had all the right, the, the right uh, teaching and all the right practices and all the right structures and all the right things, and yet for all of their goodness, their heart had grown cold. Maybe you can, maybe you can identify. In fact, maybe that's your story. Maybe there are some in the room tonight 
God has been speaking to you and the Holy Spirit's been working on you this week because you've come to the place where you recognize that even though outwardly everybody may think, yeah, she's got it together, he's got it together. The truth is your heart has grown cold. And tonight, the Holy Spirit wants to reignite that fire inside of you. If you would let him, if you would return to the love that you had at first, when we think about the love that we had at first, of course, many of us, you, you think about a relationship with somebody, right? And, and maybe I would suppose that probably for a lot of you in this room, you've not yet had your first true love, but there are many who have. And anyone who's ever experienced that true love knows that it's an amazing thing. This summer, in about a month's time, a little bit, uh, a little bit less than a month now, Rayleigh and I will celebrate our 22nd anniversary. I think I mentioned that another night. Yeah. She deserves all the, the applause for putting up with me for 22 years. But you know, there are, there are a lot of moments in marriage where, where you, you love someone, but you got to work at it. You got to work at it. I mean, real love takes work. Real love is not emotions and feelings all the time. We've been sold this lie as a culture that says that love is all about, you know, the butterflies and the jittery feelings. And I'm here to tell you, real love is about commitment. Real love is about covenant. Real love is about, is about staying true and working through things. It's a representation, a reflection of the gospel. Actually, Paul said that to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. You can go find that. He says, I tell you this truth, this mystery refers to Christ and the church talking about marriage there so it's a reflection of the gospel and it's meant to point us to Jesus when we think about true love and that love that we had at first be reminded of of the fresh fire that you had when you trusted in Jesus for some of you you don't have to think too hard because that's been this week praise God we saw earlier there have been so many of you this week who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior and I believe yeah, we just celebrate that. That's worth clapping for. I believe even tonight, God is calling more of you to salvation. God is calling you to trust in Jesus, to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as Savior. And when you trust Him as Lord and Savior, there's that fire in your bones that you feel at first. And though the emotion of that moment may fade, I want to tell you that that passion doesn't have to fade. And, and even though the, the excitement, the, the emotional component of what you have in, those, in that early moment, those early days, that, that may wear off a bit. The desire, the urgency, the understanding of, of, of God's love for you and, and just being overwhelmed by the unsearchable riches of Christ's love, that doesn't have to fade. It doesn't have to fade. But in order for you to stand strong in that, it's going to take discipline. A couple of key disciplines, in fact, that he outlines here. The third point that we see is the first of these disciplines. It's a command to remember. A command to remember. And so he says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember. Remember what God has done in your past. Remember the things that have taken place. Remember the same God who loved you and called you and saved you from your sin. Remember how desperate you were in your need for a Savior, and yet at the right time, you found God to be ready and able to save you 
when you called on Him as Lord and Savior. Remember. Remembering is a spiritual discipline. Remembering what God has done in the past prepares us for what He's going to do in the future. And so I always like to think of it like this, just a, a little phrase that I've, that, that I've created that, that just helps me. I say, I need to always remember to never forget. Always remember to never forget. And I take that from Deuteronomy chapter 4. I even preached a sermon series to my church a few years ago. That's where I first kind of stumbled into that. A sermon series through the book of Deuteronomy or parts of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Moses gives this command to the nation of Israel. Essentially he says, he doesn't use those words, but that's my own paraphrase. Moses says, always remember to never forget what God has done for you. Continue to tell it to your children and your children's children. So that you may walk with the Lord. We need, to, we need to practice the spiritual discipline of remembering, of being reminded of the gospel. That's why we go back to the scripture every day. That's why we gather together on Sundays and we worship together corporately, is that we might practice together the spiritual discipline of remembering. You see, the gospel isn't just your ticket into heaven. The gospel is what will sustain you. It's what will help you to persevere as you run with endurance the race that is set up before you. The gospel is what it takes to live day by day, rooted and established in the faith, in the hope that we have in Jesus. We need the gospel as much today and every day as we did when we first called on Jesus. But sadly, many of us forget because we don't remember to remember. Because we don't remember that we need the gospel, that I need the gospel. We must always remember to never forget what Jesus has done for us. That he paid the price for our sins. That he gave his life on the cross. That we could be forgiven and set free if we would just turn to him by faith. So there's a command to remember. We also see in this passage a call to repent to restore and repent. It's, it's really a call to restore what was lost formerly, which is all about repentance. And so we could say it's a call to restore, and to restore means to repent. He goes on in that same verse 5 that we left off in. At first he says, remember therefore from where you're falling, and then he says, repent and do the works you did at first. Repent. The word repent means to do a 180. It's an about face. It's change the direction that you're going and go back in the direction that you were once moving. You've, you've, you've let your, your focus drift over time effectively. The Spirit of the Lord is saying, Jesus is saying here, come back. Repent and return to the things that you did at first. We need to understand that remembering and repentance our spiritual disciplines, that we would re be reminded of the gospel, and that we would repent of our sins, that we would continually acknowledge our sins, that we would constantly be working to own the sin and the brokenness in our hearts and our lives that would lead us astray, that we may stay in that place where we're humble, where we're rooted and established, where we're obedient. We need to remember and repent. So there's a command to remember, a call to restore, to go back to the former things. And then finally, the word of Jesus is speaking to the church here, and he's saying, I want you to, 
I want you to come back to me. I want you to go back to the, I want, I want to, to reignite the fire that you once had. I want to rekindle the flame that once burned brightly. He's talking about revival. This is a commitment to revival. A commitment to revival. That we would seek revival. Now we use the word revival a lot in our churches and oftentimes we, we sort of inter interchangeably use the word revival speaking of like a a certain church meeting with revival as like a movement of God. I'm speaking specifically here of the movement of God. Now we hold revival meetings because what we desire is to see a movement of God. But I'm talking specifically here about that movement of God, not a revival meeting. That we would we would commit to seek revival. We would commit to see a movement of God That you and I would be willing to say, God, I pray for your movement and let it move me. God, begin with me. Start with me. Spirit, use me. Speak to me. Let it begin with me. Revival comes when we return to the love that we had at first. When we return to that love that we had. Really, what is the first love about? It's about Jesus, isn't it? I mean, all of this ultimately is about Jesus. That we would return to Jesus, turn our hearts to Him, make Him the desire of our lives, make Him the center of our affections, make Him the source of our strength, make Him the the anchor of our hope, make Him the thing that we seek after and we pursue. Jesus. It's not, I wonder, is Jesus all in all for you? Is Jesus the source of your everything? Or is it something else? All week long, in our services, in the morning teaching times, the next chapter if you've been a part of that, in your cabins, in your devotionals, in your small groups, Everything we've done around this campus this week has been centered around Jesus. Because we know that it takes Jesus at the center of my life for me to keep the fire burning. Jesus wants to be the center of my life. He wants to be the center of your life. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And in that moment, there's going to be a call a call that we extend to you tonight if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to commit your life to Him, then we're going to offer you the opportunity to to come forward and to meet with someone else and to pray a prayer of commitment whereby you would say, Jesus, I want to put you at the center of my life, the center of my heart, the center of my everything. I want my life to be about you, Jesus. You. And if that's you tonight and God's speaking to you and He's calling you, then when I'm done praying in a moment, I want to invite you to come and meet me here at the altar. That you would surrender your life to Jesus. That you would make Him your first love, the love that you had at first. That you would make Him the center of your heart, the center of your life. That you would make Him your everything. And as we pray tonight to move into the time of invitation, I want to pray a little differently. Because what I want to pray to you is actually a prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. 
we find this in Ephesians chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. And I'm going to read these words to you and read these words over you as my prayer this evening. And even as I read these words, you're going to hear that Jesus is at the center of everything. He's at the center of my prayer for you tonight. He's at the center of our hopes and our dreams. He's at the center of all that we hope for and we long for and we work for and we seek. It's Jesus. And tonight, if you're ready to make Jesus the center of your life, then I pray that you would come and you would surrender your life to him. And so as soon as I'm done, I'll say amen. In fact, the very last word of this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 is that. It's the word amen. When I say amen, we will stand together and we'll begin to sing this song. If you're coming to surrender your life to Jesus, then you step in the aisles and you come. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me pray this prayer over you this evening. From Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To follow us on Facebook or Instagram, just search for Oklahoma Baptist Youth. And for more information, visit oklahomabaptist.org slash youthcamp. Thanks for listening.